Hello and welcome back to The Clover, where your hosts from Arizona, Claudice Savelle and AJ West, make connections with 4-H members across our club, our community, our country, and our world. Today, I'll be heading over to Southeastern Europe to learn about the 4-H program in one of the youngest countries in the world. Our special guest today is Chiram Shalamete, the founder and CEO of Kosovo 4-H. So if you'd like to begin by just giving a little summary about yourself, your background, and when you got involved with 4-H. Um, hi, first of all, thanks again for the uh, invite. Um, so my name is Chilerem Shanamete. Uh, I'm the founder and CEO of 4-H Kosovo. So we have, um, I've been doing youth volunteering, youth work uh, in, in education, in entrepreneurship, uh, in just civil society in general since I was in fifth grade. Um, it started uh, very simple just by participating in some after school stuff. Uh, and then eventually I started taking on some of uh, my own projects and engaging with bigger groups and international projects. Um, some of the more notable work uh, that I've done, uh, if you could say that, has been being president of the Youth Council of the U.S. Embassy here in Kosovo and also uh, reactivating or restarting Road Rack Club Pristina, uh, which is part of the, uh, it's, uh, it's part of the global Road to Rack Clubs around the world. Um, and then, of course, the most notable one being starting 4 h here. Um, other than that, uh, I'm also, uh, I just finished my third year in university, so I'm starting my fourth year in September. Uh, university is not as fun as building 4-H, uh, but I still have to do it. Um, and yeah, that's, that's like sort of a, uh, a rough idea, like a short bio. Of, of who I am and what I do, uh, things I'm interested in, entrepreneurship, youth, uh, engagement, uh, education is a really big part. Um, I think there is much more than can, that can be done, not just here in Kosovo, but, but globally. Uh, education, I think, is suffering. Uh, I think it needs reinvention. Uh, I like looking at ways of, of how can we fill those, those gaps or even how can we look at, at, at ways of reinventing the system. And what is the geography like in Kosovo? Uh, Pristina is the capital, so it's sort of like an urban jungle. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have all um, seasons. Right now, it was raining until a while ago. Um, and I, I like to call it, people, people tease me uh, when I say this, but I like to call it the miniature version of New York, New York City. Um, or say that New York City is Pristina on steroids. Uh, so it's sort of like it has that, that grittiness, you know, that sort of like things are a bit, a bit wild, they're a bit unpredictable, things are a bit messy, but at the same time, it's a place where you have so many opportunities. You can do so much. There's all kinds of different people, interesting people, it's such a diverse culture. Um, I, I genuinely think there's no other city I, w- I would want to live in. What would you say is a unique or interesting aspect of Kosovo? Well, one thing that's cool about Kosovo uh, is that we have uh, really cheap food. Uh, the people here are very cheap, but good food. Uh, I, I had to, let me point that out. It's not just cheap, <laughs> it's also really good food. <laughs> and um, the people are really hospitable. Um, actually, one thing that, because I, I'm reminded now, um, one thing that could probably be very relevant, 
uh, to, to Americans is that we have people here who call it the 51st state. Um, we have a statue of Bill Clinton uh, in the entrance of our city. Um, because when we were at war, uh, it was, so Bill Clinton was president when uh, the US made the decision to uh, sort of intervene in Kosovo through NATO. And we were practically liberated uh, because, of, because of that administration's decision. Uh, so we are very thankful both to the Clintons, uh, but generally to, to Americans as a people. So if you come here and you're an American, I think you can pretty much live with no expenses. People will open their home for you. They'll give you food. They'll show you around. They will tell you stories. Um, so, yeah. And what made you get involved with 4-H? Uh, the way I got engaged with 4-H was that uh, I got to a point back in 2016 when I was doing a lot of volunteering after school activities, but I was also uh, in high school, I had to start thinking a bit more about my future. Um, and so I came to a point with my after school stuff. And, and since it's after school, people think it's also after priorities, um, which never was that way to me because I learned much more through after school stuff than in actual school. And I just got to a point where I had to think about how do I either engage at a higher or at a different level, or how do I start doing less of this and focus on some other areas of my life. And there's a long story of how I, I got to, to know 4-H, um, but basically I got in contact with someone from 4-H in Finland. Uh, at that point, I was really looking for ways to travel to Finland. I, I, I was, I'm still fascinated by their education system. So I just wanted to, to go there and see how it works. And I got in contact with uh, Paivi, uh, who is sort of like the godmother of, of 4-H. I like to call her that. She <laughs> has helped start a lot of programs. She supports a lot of international 4-H programs. Um, and she was the, I think the international uh, program manager, or how do you call that in, in 4-H in Finland. Mm -hmm. And then she invited me to uh, go there for a two-week exchange as part of their uh, IFI pro. I think it's called IFI program, International 4-H Youth Exchange or International Farmers Youth Exchange. I got to stay in, in Helsinki, which is the capital of Finland, for a couple of days. And then I also got to stay with the best host family in Toivaka, uh, which is another uh, place in Finland, uh, deeper in middle Finland. And they were a 4-H family. So I both got to see how 4-H works at a central level uh, and also um, how does it work at, at more local level in terms of, of clubs and day-to-day and -day stuff. And uh, again, I did not know exactly what 4-H was back then, uh, but seeing the impact it had on people, uh, one thing that was fascinating to me when I found out was that after the war with Russia, Finland, as, as most people do after wars, had also problems with agriculture, with basic food production and supply. And since there was a lot of 4-H clubs even back then, you had all of these kids that had learned agriculture through 4-H clubs that were sort of helping the country get back on its feet. Um, so that was a fascinating fact to me. And I also got to meet two kids who were 13 and 14 years old who had started their own businesses. And in Kosovo, that's unimaginable. Like you do not hear that, that's fascinating. So just knowing that there was a platform for kids of this age to not just know what entrepreneurship is and how to make a business, but to start one and learn by doing, uh, that was fascinating to me. So that combined with the fact that I learned it's a global network, 
I just sort of, uh, it clicked to me that I should try and do this in Kosovo. And it, it was not in the Balkans. Uh, I don't think it still is. I think there was some initiatives, but I don't think any of them worked out. Um, so yeah, it was just a really exciting new challenge to, to try and do for the youth here because I know how much potential they have. So as you started building your program, was it difficult to find youth willing to join the club and volunteer? Yeah, um, I, I think the more challenging parts are the conceptions about volunteering. So people still do not see volunteering as an obligatory thing. They see volunteering as something you do when things are really sad and hopeless. So they see volunteering as something that you engage in when uh, an earthquake happens, like we had recently the earthquake in Albania. We were one of the most mobilized people ever. Like you cannot imagine how fast people started doing volunteering and sending help and all of that. But we do not see volunteering in a professional perspective, right? So we don't think that through volunteering we can gain skills, we can expand our network through volunteering, we get access to new opportunities, we become more empathetic, we develop leadership, all of that. So they still don't have that perception of a more professional type of volunteering. But we do have after school uh, activities here, we do have a lot of NGOs uh, that offer different kinds of programs. You know, countries after the war usually have uh, spend a lot of money in civil society. Um, so there was already like people were familiar with with similar types of programs. So it wasn't that hard to, to gain interest. I think the harder part will be just showing people that through this kind of engagement, you can gain much more than just helping someone who is poor or is going through a rough time. And have the members of the 4-H club and community been receptive to this increase in volunteerism? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, um, again, there is an issue with a more traditional way of thinking. Um, school is a priority. We've had, for example, a few dropouts that were students that decided to focus more on school and university. Uh, I understand there is nothing wrong with that. I just wish that they saw volunteering not as something that takes away from that experience, but rather as something that can prepare them um, and, and better equip them, equip them with the skills that they need to succeed in life. And ultimately, you still need extracurriculars on your CV to do a good university application. Um, so we, we, we do have a lot of uh, work in sort of trying to tackle that, that part. Um, but overall, like you see young people, these are, these are people 15, 17, 18 years old. And instead of going out to cafes, going out to partying or playing some sort of games, whatever, they're spending their weekends, their afternoons, even right now during the pandemic, they're sitting down with other peers and they're trying to figure out solutions for problems in their local community. So that's, that's respectable regardless of what you think about volunteering. That's still something to look up to. So there has been, there has been a good reception. Again, it's still a pilot program. We are still in our early phases. Um, so we are still sort of sort of testing the waters, seeing how things are going. But in terms of the individual participants, um, they have been generally very happy with the program. So as an up-and-coming 4-H club, how do you plan to grow in participation while still maintaining passionate club members? One thing that's really interesting is that 
as organizations, and this is not just NGOs, it's any kind of organization, as they scale, they usually tend to lose quality. So we like, they focus more on numbers rather than on specific individuals. Um, so one thing that we try to do together with our monitoring and evaluation officer is that we sat down and we looked, okay, how can we still have relatively big groups while also being able to tailor and work with them personally? Um, and so, again, we had to focus a lot on the volunteer leaders. They are essentially the teachers of the program in a sense. They're facilitating the whole thing. So we try to equip them as best as we can so that they can work with individuals. Another thing that we did is that we tried to keep the volunteer leader to club member uh, ratio pretty small. So we have around eight to, the range was eight to 12 club members per club. But right now we have on average around nine or 10 club members. So, and we have two volunteer leaders per club. So it's um, four to five uh, members per volunteer leader. So each volunteer leader has the time to work with them personally too. And another thing that we've done is that we've developed a workbook to accompany the, the program, Changemaker Skills. And we've, we've tried to design the workbook in a way that also sort of tests them on five key change maker qualities. Uh, so some of them are um, collaborative leadership, it's um, empathy, it's communication. So these are all skills that you sort of need in order to be a change maker. Um, so that's, we've had to do some trade-offs. It's a little hard to stay personal while also scaling. Um, but th again, this is the first year that we're, we're implementing this program. So we're really excited to, to both get the feedback and we're also looking at, um, just at the end of the program. So what percentage did, did, did go through with the program? How hard was it for them to finish? And the stuff that we plan to evaluate them on those individual skills. Did we do a good job at that? Like, is that a good indicator of, of what they've done? So in my 4-H club, we learn about healthy living and how to educate others properly on it. And I'm curious what 4-H pillars your programming falls on. So I, I, I think in terms of 4-H uh, pillars, the main one that this program would fall on would be service learning and leadership uh, because they are creating their own service learning projects and they're doing community engagement projects uh, through which they're both learning through service, um, but uh, they're also sort of developing their own skills and improving their communities. Um, so in terms of 4-H pillars, um, I think that's, that's more where, where it falls on. And how do you facilitate programming and organizing projects? Yeah, so in the beginning, um, we did not have much of an idea of what we were doing. So we tried a lot of different stuff. Uh, we tried an approach where we identified really good volunteer leaders. We connected them to a club. And then we also just told them, okay, now you with the club, you guys figure out what you want to do. We'll give you the resources and we'll support you, right? And I think that's pretty much how it works uh, globally. But we saw that that was not the case here. It was gonna take a different approach. Um, so after some, some trial and error, some researching, what we did is that we took a, a whole different approach. So we sat down, we created our own program. It's called Changemaker Skills. 
Uh, it combines a lot of stuff from other programs around the, U uh, around the US and Canada, in Africa and Finland, but it's still our own program. Um, and we said, okay, so we have this program, we're gonna identify potential change makers. Um, we're gonna get some really good incentives for these people. We secured some internships for them. Uh, we uh, looked at the potential of sending them to Finland as part of a youth exchange. So we have Erasmus Plus that supports European youth exchanges amongst other things. And we identified these young potential change makers in communities and we said, okay, this is what we have. We wanna offer you this. Do you wanna, do you wanna get into this? And so instead of going from a more general approach, like we have all of these programs and you choose what you wanna do, we went a bit more specific. So we first go into a niche program. We, we say, okay, we're gonna do this. And right now we're looking into expanding our range of programs, uh, both vertically in terms of age groups and also horizontally in terms of what kinds of programs are we offering. And what are some specific projects being offered? Um, we've, we've led that uh, up to them. So we, we've created a system in which they choose problems that they're passionate about, things that they're curious about, things that they really want to work on solving, uh, and then they decide uh, what they want to do with that, how they want to solve it. So again, we're still just trying to offer that platform and just sort of prepare them on how to do it, but we don't want to tell them what to do. Uh, we want to tell them how, uh, and then they figure that out for themselves. So a main goal of 4-H is to empower youth voices, and you work a lot with teens. So I'm curious if you've ever had any difficulties or struggles and what your experiences have been when dealing with adult and teen partnerships. Yeah, so for us, it's been uh, an interesting journey. Uh, most of our team is really young. So I mentioned I'm in my, I started my fourth year of university. So I'm 20 years old right now. And I was in the place that they were just two years ago. So I was in my last year of high school when I started 4-H. Um, so it has, and, and all of our team is under 25 years old. So it has not been that hard to relate to their problems and the issues that they have at school. And it hasn't been that hard to sort of understand uh, their perspective. But we, we, keep, we keep being fascinated uh, by their potential. And I, I really believe this, this was one of the reasons, uh, not just me personally, but my whole team are working towards this. We see the potential that our youth has. Um, so just, just sort of trying to give them those tools and that platform, which they can then use to do things that are much bigger than what we could do individually, that sort of gets us out of bed uh, in the morning and into the office. So, but you know, on a more technical term, uh, we, we've been trying to listen to them and, and their needs a lot. Even during the design process, we tried to talk to them while we were creating the program. Do you think this would work? Is this interesting to you? Do you think this is valuable? Um, and of course, they don't have the answers to everything. Uh, they still haven't, haven't worked. They don't know if knowing how to plan a budget is going to be valuable to them in five years. Um, but we did try to make it as, as engaging and exciting to them as we can. Yeah, I think engaging is a great way to explain 4-H. And because it's so hands-on, I've had some of the best experiences being a participant. What have been some of your favorite experiences as a 4-H'er and creating Kosovo 4-H? There's a lot. Um, I think the story of how it all started is a really inspiring story. 
Um, but in terms of my, my favorite experience, I would say it was, so I, I, will, I participated in the Global Summit in Canada back in, I think it was 2017. And, excuse me, and I actually got to uh, meet Justin Trudeau, uh, the Prime Minister of Canada. And yeah, I mean, just the whole story of how that happened um, from, from me getting there in the first place to just getting to meet the Prime Minister of Canada to then utilizing all of those connections um, is just one of, one of my highlights. And I, I still, we still use, um, I got the opportunity to ask uh, the Prime Minister about, so I said in a place like Kosovo where the Balkans in general where the youth are preoccupied with more basic issues and also political drama. Uh, and if you didn't know, the Balkans uh, are a very conflicted state, uh, states, conflicted area. Uh, we like, uh, even if we don't physically fight, we like political fights a lot. Uh, I said, how do you make them aware that they have potential, they can do more. They cannot just do more for themselves, they can do more for their world. And he said, I believe that every young person has the potential to do more and be more, not just in Kosovo, but everywhere. But they do need a platform to get there. They do need something that pushes them in that right direction, something that gives them the tools, skills, abilities that they need to sort of fulfill that potential. And that's been inspiring to us uh, ever since I got to hear that, because that's what we're trying to do ultimately. It's, it's also in our mission statement. Uh, to offer our mission statement starts with a sentence to offer a platform. So we don't want to teach you to do things a specific way. We want you as a young person, you have your own wishes, you have your own wants, you have your curiosity, you have your interests. We want to be the place where you come to us and you use 4-H here to sort of explore those interests and those areas of what you might want to do. And then you take everything that you've learned here and then you go out and make the world a better place. Mm -hmm. uh, it's much more complicated than that, uh, but that's the vision. Uh, so, yeah. So it sounds like you really took advantage of your networking skills to grow Kosovo 4-H. So I'm curious how you've taught your club members the importance of networking. We have mentioned it in, in our program. So Changemaker Skills is expanded in, uh, it's divided, not, not expanded. It's divided in uh, three key sectors. So it's uh, you, it's three modules, the mod you, the problem, and the team and community. So the first module is about exploring yourself as a change maker, what kind of skills, abilities, tools do you need individually to be a change maker in your own life? The second one is about exploring the kind of problem you wanna solve. And then the third one is about um, implementing that solution with your team and community. How do you involve that? So we've tried to mention uh, the importance of stakeholders, uh, the importance of um, just working with your community in general, your team. Uh, but I also have not tried to impose my own personal beliefs into an educational program. Uh, but whenever I go out and, and visit the clubs, I try to mention to them the, the importance of uh, just having a good network. It can do wonders for you, especially in, in countries that are a bit more conservative, a bit more traditional, um, having a good network uh, can be extremely valuable. And how have you adapted the 4-H pledge to meet the mission of your club? Uh, actually, that's a, <laughs> that's a fun story. 
Mm-hmm. Um, we decided to not do it from the beginning uh, because we felt that uh, it, so pledges are more of a, usually more of a traditional sort of religious leaning thing. And uh, we were scared that uh, people would, would try to identify us with, mm-hmm. with those kind of ideas. Uh, so we sort of stayed away from that, but we've, we've made sure to educate our youth and also people who follow us on what 4-H means and what do the H's stand for and uh, why, why does the whole, the whole program rely on those, on those 4-H's on integrating them together. What ways has your 4-H club had a positive impact on various communities? As part of our Changemaker Skills program, we currently have six clubs that are running and there are set in four municipalities. So I cannot say a specific club has had a specific kind of impact. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping that what the program is doing for the clubs and for the communities is that first of all, you have these individuals who live in these municipalities uh, who are gonna gain these skills and hopefully they're gonna use them to uh, not just create positive impact in those communities, but they're going to spread them to their teachers, to their family, to their local businesses. We've tried to include their circle as much as we could. So as part of some of the activities that they have to do, they have to reach out to friends to ask them different kinds of questions. They have to go out in their community and conduct interviews. They have to ask their teachers for some sort of things. They have to talk to their parents about some of their characteristics. They have to go out to local business people and uh, talk to them about their ideas. So we've tried to sort of identify all elements of their communities and try to integrate them so that there is a multiplier effect and uh, the idea of change making and this kind of professional volunteering is spread out a bit more. But at the same time, uh, at, a, at a more um, simple or, or direct level, uh, in terms of uh, outcomes, we're also going to have these kids after they finish the program, they're coming up with projects of their own that they're going to implement in the local communities and they're going to implement these projects. So we're hoping to also see direct real change on top of, of that kind of longer term impact, that change in values and attitudes and expectations that we hope is going to happen in the next let's say 10, 15, 20 years. And what are you most excited for in the future of Kosovo 4-H? So the first thing that we do with our program is that we have the domestic education program. So after school, we have Changemaker Skills right now. We're also creating a financial literacy program that we're hoping to launch uh, later this year on the third quarter of this year. And then on the other hand, we've also been focusing on building our international exchange programs. So we already have a sort of partnership with 4-H in Finland to start doing international exchanges and we're going to send our group. So we've been there, they've been here, and now we're going to start sending youngsters to each other. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have also uh, made an agreement with 4-H in Canada to pilot an exchange. So just one or two people just to see how that would work. And we're also talking with the uh, 4-H States Exchange in the U.S., Uh, to see what a potential exchange program between us and them could look like and how could we make that happen. Mm -hmm. So on top of giving giving youth here the skills uh, that they need to to sort of develop themselves, we're also hoping that we can give them the the opportunity to travel abroad and see how people live in in other cultures, 
what the, what do their days look like? What is what do their schools look like? What is their life like? Um, I got to travel for the first time when I was in sixth grade uh, in Germany. That was a completely mind-blowing, eye-opening experience for me. Uh, so I'm hoping we're going to be able to offer that to to other young people. Awesome. Yeah, I've been, I did some research on like the different opportunities that 4-H has and there's so many of like traveling and I talked to other 4-Hers and they said like that was one of their favorite experiences. Definitely. I mean, um, getting getting to meet your people, you know, because again, not a lot of people are really interested in, in helping their communities uh, after school uh, and we're trying to change that. Um, we're trying to increase those numbers. But getting to meet other people who are as passionate, as curious about these things as you, getting to have friends in, in different countries, in different cities. Like at this point, I've been to a couple of global summits. Anywhere I go in the world, uh, I would probably have someone I could count on within 100 kilometers. So that's a really good feeling to have, you know, and, and you feel more connected to the world. Mm -hmm. uh, your bigotry goes down, your judgments go down, your ignorance goes down your empathy goes up, your curiosity about the world goes up. So it's like a win-win uh, in all in all scenarios. And have you traveled a lot, like for 4-H? Where have you gone? I think I'm really grateful uh, that I've gotten to travel quite a lot more than the average citizen here. So another problem that we have in Kosovo is that we do not have visa liberalization. Mm. There are very few countries where we can travel with our passports without a visa. And we usually have a really hard time getting visas and they are quite expensive. So we're sort of locked from traveling around Europe and the US and Canada and all of that. Uh, I'm one of the lucky ones because I was born in Albania. So I have an Albanian passport and that comes with much more freedom of movement. So I haven't had that sort of visa block in a way. I, I've been more free to move. Uh, in terms of specifically 4-H, uh, so I've been to Canada, mm -hmm. I've been to the US uh, a couple of times, um, I've been to Finland again a couple of times, um, I was hoping to go to Africa this year for the global summit, but it, doesn't, it looks like that's going to be postponed considering the, the circumstances with the virus and everything. I don't have any news yet, um, but, but it, that's probably the, the next thing to do. Yeah, that's super awesome. Um, well, I finished wrapping up all my questions, but if you have anything else you'd like the audience to know, feel free to share. There is a lot to learn from, from Forest Global. Uh, there is a lot of research. Uh, There's a lot of good people working on 4-H at, at, their, at their countries, at their states, uh, at a global level. I think that if someone who is listening to this came as far as to listen to this, uh, they should also try and check out some of the other programs around the world. I think they would find some of the things really fascinating and exciting, uh, and they could learn a lot. And uh, please feel free to reach out both to other people in the forest community. They've always been there for me, even if they didn't know who I was at all. Uh, and please feel free to reach out to me personally uh, if there is um, something else that you wanna, you wanna add. Um, and just as a, as a last thing, or if there's anything else you wanna discuss, and as a last thing, again, I, I think I, I uh, mentioned this. I started 4-H when I was 17. Mm -hmm. We didn't really know what we were doing. 
So we are in a sense, the embodiment of learning by doing. Uh, people generally think that they have to know a lot, they have to get certifications, they have to do preparations. Um, but right now we're helping young people, we're creating young leaders in communities and we started off with nothing. Um, so we, we started off with what we had and we sort of built our way there. So just, just know that if, if you're a young person, regardless of your age, but generally young people are more scared because they think they lack the skills. If you're a young person, you think you cannot figure it out, the best way to learn is by doing. Um, you, you fall a little bit, you get up, you learn something, you keep going, you fall again, you get up again. Um, the, the process can be very, very fun and enjoyable. And that's a wrap on episode two of The Clover. I'd like to give a special thanks to Chirum Shalamete for joining us today, as well as Tom Plass for making the intro and exit music to this podcast. Oh, huh. Looks like I'm getting a call in from someone from Kosovo. I wonder who it can be. I'll cue him in. Hey guys, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this. I really love doing this interview. If you have any other questions about Kosovo, about the 4A's program here, about education, whatever you guys are interested in want to talk, please feel free to reach out to me on my email or feel free to find me on Instagram or 4H Kosova. Reach out. We're here for you. I would love to talk to some of you, get to know more and uh, answer any questions you have. If you want to reach out, his contact information will be in this podcast description. And as always, thanks for tuning into The Clover and connecting with your 4-H members from your club, community, country, or world.